He grew up in communist Poland and immigrated to the United States at a young age. He became an army ranger and eventually a high performer in the business world, making more money than he imagined. But then his life fell apart, leading him to a moment of genuine conversion. His name is Marek Rudek. What can he teach us about love, servanthood, and leadership? Find out after this. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are blessed to be here. Sam, your uh, founder and editor of The Catholic Gentleman, myself, the director, John Heinen, and we are blessed to be joined by Marek Rudak, um, an, an amazing man with a, a litany a mile long and of accomplishments. And I'm gonna just jump in and talk about a little bit more in depth just to set the stage for him. We're gonna be able to talk about everything from uh, war to virtues to uh, professionalism and poise in the modern society and how we uh, compose ourselves as gentlemen. So uh, Marek was born in communist Poland he lost his dad at a very young age. He moved to the United States at the age of 14. He went on to go to West Point, which is a huge accomplishment. Anybody who doesn't know to get into West Point, you have to be academically and uh, physically capable and really the head of your class there in high school. So in West Point, that wasn't enough. He moved on to become an army ranger and he was deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan. I'll take a moment and thank you, Marek, for your service and uh, protection to our country. Um, yes, as Sam mentioned, he went on, he started working for the ExxonMobil Corporation in professional development, uh, went all over the world, and he hit this turning point in his life. Hopefully, we'll be able to go into it a little bit. Uh, we've all been there, and in many different ways, God uh, breaks us down to build us up. And so he is now committed to uh, coaching business professionals full-time, uh, business professionals and executives. He released in 2020 a, a book that is was rated number one on the Amazon new releases titled The Love Driven Man. You can see it right there. And that picture will also have a, a link click in the description uh, on the YouTube channel. So, and as you can see, he's a man of action, a man of execution, and a man of faith which is why he is a Catholic gentleman and why we are blessed to have him here. Welcome, Marek. Well, thank, thank you, Ujin. I appreciate this nice introduction. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing. It's very impressive. So I'm very glad to be on your show and be able to contribute. Yeah, thank you. So just jumping right in, I'd like to know, and we'll start by talking about your faith, talking about uh, those points of conversion, right? Losing your dad, at a young age, that sort of uh, um, loss and that uh, potential father wound, and then how God used you. I know in reading your bio and in uh, listening to some great talks, you can find him else on YouTube as well. You can just Google his name and you'll find a bunch of things, his websites and everything. And uh, you had some turning points in your life. And I'd love to just start with that and we'll let the Holy Ghost uh, guide us as he will. Sure, sure. Yes. Um, so, Kind of stepping back, I think that um, my my background, and I think I think a lot of uh, men can relate to this, is that I was born in a in, into a very ritualistic family, you know, and so especially in in Poland, 
when, when I grew up back then, everybody I knew was Catholic. Um, so we went to church. We, you know, we did all the major holidays. We did the first communion, but I never really understood why we're doing what we're doing. Like intellectually, I know, you know, this is what you need to do. Intellectually, I knew that uh, you had to memorize the Stations of the Cross. You have to memorize the Ten Commandments to get an A, or you have to have certain knowledge to be able to do First Communion. So that way you can get your gift. You know, to That's me, right. it was kind of like a means to an end. And, and, and I knew it. I just didn't really believe it. And, you know, and it, it was very, um, very interesting because uh, I had some really good examples, like my my mom and, and my grandma, but it's like, it's something that they did, but we never really talked about what happened in the church. We never talked about like why their faith was important to them. And so, yeah. and so to me, it was more of like a, an intellectual exercise. And, and that was for actually for most of my life. And so I got a lot of good formation in, in Poland in religion classes. Ever since I remember, I always went to some kind of religion class. And then later on, when I moved to California, mm. I was super blessed to go to Catholic high school. And again, to me, that was like, hey, this is what I need to do to be able to be in this Catholic high school. And, and it was just like an intellectual exercise. And to me, my faith did not really start meaning much to me until my life got destroyed, which was through my divorce. Mm. Uh, and the... The, the 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 real devastation came from the fact that my ex-wife cheated on me and mm. you know my, my marriage wasn't perfect uh but at the time both of my parents were deceased mm. uh i didn't have a good relationship with my siblings and so even though i knew my marriage wasn't perfect but i thought that whatever happens my my ex-wife got my back and so when i found out that she cheated on me oh my goodness man it's like a, it's like a bomb went off yeah. i mean it's like the time stopped and it just like, like when I heard this, I just, it, to me, it just didn't even compute. So I, I just, I just, I just got stuck. And I just, I remember keeping repeating like, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And I, and I did that for, I don't even know for how long. Yeah. And as painful as it was, that was the turning point. That's what I needed to, uh, to work, to take, uh, to start my walk back to Christ. That in, in that pain, you know, when my world got shattered, all of a sudden, all these things that I intellectually knew from, going all these religion classes, these Bible verses in that context of suffering, all of a sudden start making sense. And obviously it wasn't an a, a instant conversion. It, it took many years and we can talk more about that. But those were the kind of the, the, the big turning points. First it was intellectual exercise. Then it was a point of suffering. And in that context of suffering, that's where I found Christ. And that's where I started to actually look at, uh, look at seriously what the church's teachings are and not only that but i actually started seeing the benefits of, of, of following the church's teachings in my life wow amen you broke from the mind to the heart right finding that that union for sure um Wow, that was powerful. And uh, let me just thank you for being vulnerable, right? That's sure. something that as us as men, we we struggle to do is uh, is be vulnerable, especially on camera in front of uh, thousands of other men. So, uh, you know, I think that that's uh, a real accomplishment and an accolade to, to you as a man. So thank you. Yeah, no worries. And I didn't get like this overnight. I mean, it, it was a long uh, process. But what I've learned is that... Um, your mistakes make you relatable. You know, I used to think that um, a great leader is perfect, makes no mistakes, uh, but that's not only not realistic, but it's also not, not effective because, you know, like if somebody's perfect, like how can you relate to them? You know, and so for example, like with me, when I talk about things like, hey, I used to watch porn, hey, 
I used to masturbate. Hey, yeah. I used to, uh, my definition of, of, of manhood was having as with a sex with as many uh, women as I could. Yeah. All of a sudden, like, I believe it makes you more credible and men can relate to me that, Hey, that's where I'm at. That's where he was at. And he was able to get there. And because of that, I feel like I have, I can have a, a more connection points and be able to, um, by my example, uh, show men that it's possible that wherever you at, you can grow from it. And yes, it, it, it's not easy. And yes, it takes time, but it's so worth it. So please uh, give it a try because in time you'll, you'll start tasting the goodness of the Lord and that'll make all the difference. You sure will. So Same. I have a quick question to about just kind of the performance mindset. Okay. Sure. Cause there's, um, you mentioned this kind of in your bio too, that at um, a young age, you figured out, you know, you had this kind of this wound of losing your father and things like that, that were very painful for you. And yet um, you also figured out very probably early in life that you were a performer, that you could get things done, that you could get good grades, that you could memorize all the right things to, you know, perform religiously and things like that you obviously climbed um, the ranks academically very quickly, you know, everywhere you went, it's, you, you kind of figured out I can succeed at what I put my mind to. And when you look at the, the business world and you look at, you know, the uh, world of pro the pro professional world that I guess that we all live in as men, uh, most of us, um, that's the name of the game. Get to the top, be the yeah. very best at your field. Um, and there's um, a good way of looking at that um, in developing your God-given gifts, but there's also a way where that can become kind of all-consuming. So uh, my question is just like, how did you handle the successes in your life? Was it satisfying? Um, and can you just kind of give us a perspective on what, holy success looks like versus kind of that worldly success yeah, that secular. we're hearing in these in our ear all day long as professionals you got to get better you got to climb higher you got to make mm -hmm. more money so i guess i'm just wondering your perspective on that yeah. sure well, well what an easy question <laughs> no no thank you thank you i i love this question you know so definitely uh, at the beginning that desire to perform didn't come from the right place. It came from the, the woundedness. And so mm. what, one thing that I didn't mention is that it's in my book is that I had a very abusive grandfather who was my father figure. And that man was so harsh. I mean, like to this day, I still remember the, the tightness in my chest at, at a mere look of his disapproval because it was just constant yelling, constant criticism. And, and, you know, and in fact, the only time, the only time I remember my grandfather complimenting me was when I sold the bike to a friend and he was telling me, he's like, oh, Marek, you're such a great entrepreneur. Man, I was like in heaven. But then I noticed something was wrong. Yeah. His, his speech began to slur. He was drunk. Mm -hmm. And so as sad as it is, back then, I wish my grandfather would drink more often because that's the only time I, I, I felt validated. Uh, and, wow. so, and, so, and so because I was so starved for that validation, um, I, I found it in the academic world, you know, I, especially early in my age, I was, I was a chubby kid. I wasn't very uh, physically fit, but I, I did oh, wow. fairly well academically. And so I, I, you know, in Poland, I did very well in school. Then when I moved to the United States, um, I, I was able to graduate in top 10% of my class, also in, in my Catholic high yeah. school. 
and and you know the cool thing about accomplishments especially early on there's a lot of like there's the, the there's a lot of feedback you know for example you you do well in school you get a's you get honor roll and then especially in the military man you can really take it to the whole another level because in the military you know you get medals for this you get taps for that you get badges for that and you know again that's not wrong in principle right. but if that's what you're after it becomes like a drug yep yeah. but but the problem with that is is that eventually you get to the point where there is no other place, you know, yeah. that, you know, for example, I'll, I'll give you an example from ExxonMobil. So for example, yeah. uh, Rex Tiller, like ExxonMobil, I'm telling you, they have this brutal ranking process every year. Wow. People get ranked top to bottom. It's not like Quinta, it's literally top to bottom. And so somebody like, like, like Rex Tillerson obviously must have done very well to be CEO. But then what happened? He becomes secretary of the state he gets fired by Trump in one year. Obviously, I don't want to get into whether he was fired wrong, was right. right or wrong. But but look at somebody like Rex Tillerson. He was like on top of the world, and then you know he you know he went to the next job and he gets fired. And so that that's the thing about accomplishments. No matter how good you are, at some point, you you're not gonna perform. To to somebody is not gonna uh, like the way you you work. Yeah. And so, so for example, in my case, that, that realization point was my divorce is that, Hey, mm-hmm. I've all, I've done all these things. And obviously I, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of things I would have done different, but I would still would have went to the military. I still would have done West Point. Obviously there's, there's things I would have done differently when I went there, but, but, uh, but what it made me realize is that uh, when it comes from the wrong place, it's only a matter of time till the bomb goes off. It's only a matter of time till that foundation it is proven to be false. And, and so to answer your question, what, what I found is, is more satisfying is obviously God, but even more specifically, you know, I, I think we can all relate, especially like in our early walks with Christ, is that um, we desire validation. We, we desire consolation. And, and, that, and uh, oh, you know, when you first start off, you, you get that consolation. But, you know, when it comes to the Lord, you know, that's why, for example, me, I always every morning I start with Sirach chapter two and says, my child, when you when you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for testing, and yeah. and 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 you know the the ultimate in, in my mind, the way I define accomplishment, is is seeking the Lord for Lord Himself, and especially when that really comes out is when things are not going well, where 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 you where you disappointed, when things don't go your way, you feel like you failed. Yeah. Like what do you do? Uh, and and so to me that the ultimate success is, is, is seeking and, and find your consolation in the world because in, in, in the Lord, because things will change. Uh, you know, you'd be up, you'd be, you'd be down, but if you can find that consolation in the world, you can put, you can put the Lord in your center. Then to me, that's the ultimate success. Amen. It sounds like it comes back to identity. Like is your identity, I'm this or that, and I have this or that accomplishment which can all be taken away from you, as you're saying, mm-hmm. or is your identity as a man rooted in something that can't be taken away? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Or maybe to put it, in other words, kind of like the subtitle of my book is uh, how to love what, what matters eternally. And so in other words, do you uh, love things that are temporary or the things that are eternal? Yeah. And so, you know, from day to day, especially in corporate America, you know, you have you have a lot of things to do. I mean, I'm, I'm an executive coach, so I, I get it too. I see it like, you know, people at Pinterest, Yelp, you name it, all these corporations, you know, there, there's so many demands. It, it's so easy to develop that tunnel vision. And so in that short term, you can perform. But uh, do you spend the time to look at what matters eternally? In other words, 
if you were to die today uh, on your deathbed, would you be happy with your relationship with the Lord? And, and it's not an easy thing. It, it's hard. And I don't, I definitely don't have it figured out, but what I do know is that that's the kind of question I need to ask myself, you know, like you mentioned, Sam, identity and it is, is my heart are, are, are the things that I'm doing pointing me to what matters eternally, which is, uh, which is the kingdom of God, which is which is the union with God as much as possible on this earth while, while I'm here. Absolutely, yeah. Building up treasures in heaven, not just on earth, right? And focusing on that. And a lot of what you're saying resonates with me. Uh, that was my uh, drive for success, right? I identified, Sam, myself as a successful man depending on how I did academically, right? Graduated third in my class out of 700 kids, graduated top in my class at Yale. Um, and all of those things, for me, were always going back to, well, I finally am something. I'm someone, you know, and identifying that. And it's just that misstep. And I've heard you, Marek, speak about that on another one of your talks, too, and, <clears throat> and identifying yourself uh, with God and choosing him. Um, I would like to, because I know a lot of our listeners want to hear this, is why West Point? Um, you know, why not Caltech or, or USC? You know, you're in California. Why not MIT? You know, and stuff like that. Why the military? And then of the military, I mean, you know, you can you set your aims to the top, West Point, and, and you achieved it. So what was it that was going through your mind back then that uh, that moved you? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I hate to say because at the time it was very superficial. Um, mm -hmm. You know, again, if I could do all over again, I'll still go to West Point. But, you know, to be 100% honest and transparent at the time, I was, I, you know, I mean, I, I was 17. What, what do you know at, at 17? And so mm -hmm. I, I remember watching movies and seeing, like, you know, average movie has some, some veteran or some, or some military character, and, and they just have, they get, they have so much confidence and, and respect. And I thought to myself, man, if I graduate from West Point, like, you know, that, that I'll have true confidence, I'll have true respect. Because another thing that happened is that when uh, I moved to the United States, um, my mom, uh, you know, and, and the thing about this is my mom didn't tell me this. Like when I moved to the United States, uh, I, I'll, I'll never forget this day, you know, she picked me up at San Francisco airport. I look at her and she's got a big belly. She's seven months pregnant. No, no, nobody told me about that. You know, mm. obviously, I mean, uh, it's, it's logical. People get married, they have kids, but at 14, like, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that I expected. And so to me, uh, you know, my stepdad was okay with me and obviously my mom loved me very much, but the message I got kind of the fear-based message I got is that, Hey, I'm a fifth wheel. Mm. And so, you know, my, my siblings, they have the perfect family, but me, I need to take care of myself. And I thought to myself, like, Hey, if, if I go to a place like West Point, not only do I get respect, not only will I get confidence, uh, but it will set me up for success. I'll be able to get a good job and, and, and I'll be able to, to have and, and create the family I never had in the first place. And unfortunately, at the time, to me, I, I thought it was intellectual success. I thought it was just working hard and, and, and getting those things. And, and it worked until it didn't, which was my divorce and finding out from my ex-wife that she was sleeping with, with, my, uh, with my boss in my house while I was working in Nigeria. Mm. Wow. So, um, yeah, yeah that's uh, an incredibly difficult experience. Um, I'm wondering, you know, too, you, you went to West Point, um, mm. maybe for, at the time, not the, not the most noble reasons, but at the same time, you did go. You were in the military and you had a couple of tours of duty. Mm -hmm. um, 
with you know the Rangers, which is is kind of an elite unit. Um, I'm wondering, uh, what are some of the lessons that you learned there that shaped who you are today? Yeah. So, my goodness. So it's it's kind of like hard to come up with just like one lesson, but I I think that really the the most important one for me is is uh, leadership by example, and more specifically mm-hmm. humility. Um, for example, uh, I'll give you a story from, from Ranger School. So like, you know, in, in Ranger School, just kind of like in a nutshell, Ranger School is about 60 day, uh, 60 day course. Um, you, you go through three different phases and from each phase you have to like have, uh, have certain goals. You have to meet certain criteria, like primarily it's patrols. And the whole idea behind Ranger School is, is basically like uh, it teaches it teach you leadership. Um, so, uh, you know, leadership is, is not easy to begin with, but once you add in being hungry, being tired, being exposed to element, it exponentially gets more difficult. And oh, by the way, when you do your patrols, you're in charge of those, those men. And, and so it's, it's, it's really puts a lot of pressure on you and it's short of combat itself. It, it's, a, it's the best way to, to prepare somebody for, for combat leadership. Um, and so. I was super blessed in the sense that I was able to go through ranger school straight through. What happens is like if you fail one phase, they typically let you redo it. But but the funny thing about it is even though I graduated straight through, I basically failed everything and failed and still be able to, to graduate straight through. And so like one of the things that that was actually very uh, humbling experience for me is that um, in addition to patrols, what they do is you also have to pass peer evals. Okay. And basically what they're looking for is that they're trying to avoid spotlight rangers and, and, and which is basically people who look great in front of leadership, but, but screw their buddies over. And, and uh, even, even though you, you, you know, not, not everybody was in the military, I'm sure like from your, uh, from your work experience, the listeners can relate that there's always this one guy who looks great in front of management, but then does it uh, at the cost of, of the people uh, that, that they work with. And so anyways, long story short, uh, you know, after the first phase, they do peer evals and guess who got peered out? This guy, I was uh. like, "What?" You know, and 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 I I I uh, I took that feedback very seriously I, I, because I I didn't see it coming. Like, I, I, for example, if I was like stealing people's meals or screwing them over, then then I get it. Like, but I, I felt like I was doing my job, and I and I talked to the to my squad, and basically what I found out is that you know I'm I'm good at what I do, but I don't go out of my way to help people out. Mm-hmm. And, wow. and, and, and that was that was a very humbling experience because, you know, we are biased. We always think that we're the, the good guys and it takes a lot of humility to actually ask people for feedback and, and change. And so and so if I had to sum up the, the experiences from from military and, and from combat experience is that um, humility is, is very important because that's how you build relationships with with people like you know in, in, in the military there's obviously a, a very direction of command but uh, there's a difference when you give an order uh that, that people listen to you because of your rank versus that your rank and because they know that you care you know uh that there's this one quote that i really love by theodore roosevelt roosevelt which is that people don't care what you know until they know that you care mm. and and it's very counterintuitive because it's in in a military you know, it's, it's, it's very tempting to say, hey, I got the ranger tab. Hey, I got the, you know, the, the, the rank, listen to me. And obviously that, that gets results. But w- what I learned and, you know, it took me, you know, a, a lot of lessons to learn. This kind of like my ranger school experience is that while that works in much more effective ways, way, whether, whether it's in the military or even evangelization, is to really get to know the person 
find out uh, how you can help them develop that relationship, be that servant leader, because that's harder, but in the long term, it will pay huge dividends. Yeah. Uh, Marek, that's that's excellent. And actually, for our father listeners, I think it's a really good quote that you brought up because that's us with our children, right? Is that if our children know that we care and that we love them, then they're going to be more open to uh, listening to us. But if we're like an alcoholic or we struggle to show uh, them priority in our lives, then our kids are going to, you know, close off to our thoughts and turn to their peers for that sort of fulfillment. So I think that's really good. And I knew you're being uh, pretty humble and. So I appreciate that. How many people uh, pass Ranger uh, School that sixty days? What's a, what's the statistic there? How many go into it? How many pass? What what does that look like? Because we know the special ops, and you hear the the glory stories and everything in, yeah. in the world. But uh, but uh, I'd love to just know some stats because a lot of what you shared with me is all new. So well, it's you know I don't know exact percentages, but like I mean, people just drop like flies. I mean, like especially like on the first day. Like for example, on the first day, this is this is how how bad it is. Yeah. Like when you shop on the first, they don't even let you park in the parking lot. They just tell you to park whatever because literally by the the time the first day is over, like quarter of the people fall fall apart because of like um, the the different different tests, yeah. things like this combined water survival test, that the physical fitness test, and so I I don't know the the exact spe- spe- uh, specific percentage, but it's it, it's 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 um at least like 50% don't, don't graduate. Yeah. Uh, and it's, and it's, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's by design is, is because a lot of times people know what they're doing, but when they do it under pressure, they, they, they fall apart. They're not ready to do it under pressure. And that's, that's really the, the biggest test, you know, like I remember before going to ranger school, like one, one, the way one person described it to me, it's, it's basically like a gut check. Yeah. And, and some people just don't have the maturity to do it. And, you know, obviously they're welcome to come back. Uh, but that's really the, the whole idea behind Ranger School. And that's why people struggle because they're just not there mentally or they're just uh, not very good at handling pressure. And it's not easy. And obviously I, I failed too, but I, I was I was fortunate enough to be able to succeed more often than fail to be able to graduate on time. Oh, praise God. So would you say that it's appropriate, uh, an appropriate um, characteristic that they were trying to teach you a degree of servant leadership when you were talking about your peer reviews and things like that? Are you, you know, are you supposed to be, um, you know, helping them and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, being a servant uh, to them to help them achieve while mm-hmm. you're a leader? Is that, is that accurate or is it maybe missing the mark? Yeah, it's, it's definitely true. Although <laughs> there's definitely a flavor of um, how can I say, uh this um what would be kind of the best way to describe it this this kind of like um false masculinity that you know that that, that there's you know there's definitely a lot of good things in there but for example like um you know in ranger school like a lot of times you you're you're encouraged to cuss or or you know yell yell at people and so there's definitely element of that uh but 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 i think that um while it's not explicitly taught I think that what happens is people quickly figure out that, hey, the best way to, to graduate, uh, the best way to succeed, succeed whether that's a war or, 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 in, on, or in corporate America or a spiritual world, is to be a team player. And, and yeah. so while that might not be explicitly taught like, hey, be a team player, servant leadership, it's uh, something that you figure out that in order to be able to graduate, to achieve that's that's the most effective way to achieve the, the the results and be able to 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 graduate yeah 
No, thank you. Yeah, that actually, I want to talk some more about servant leadership and uh, and just kind of what it looks like to be a humble leader, mm-hmm. one that puts power at the service of others. But before we get there, I do have one more question, just kind of about the training experience you went through in the military. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be grueling. Like you said, you know, just test after test of your physical and psychological strength. So I'm just wondering, you know, we all face difficult things. It may not for us be ranger school, but we all face difficult things in life where there's something inside us that says you need to quit, Mm -hmm. give up, throw in the towel. um, You're done. You don't have what it takes. And yet it may not always be true. It might just be um, something that we need to push through. So my question is, when we're in, the, whether it's in the professional world um, or any other area of spiritual life, um, how do we push through difficulties psychologically? Like, how did you, when when you that voice inside you is saying, mm-hmm. "Man, you're in over your head. You need to quit." Mm-hmm. How did you push through that that suffering, that that mental suffering, especially um, when your mind and body wanted to quit? Great. You know, that, that's that's a, a good good question. You know, there's probably a lot of different ways to answer it, but I think that um, what really helped me is that kind of band of brothers effect. Mm. Like when when you see other people next to you do it, like, for example, if I had to do it by myself, there's no way I could do it. But then when you're able to see uh, people do it next to you and, and you realize that, hey, maybe, maybe I can do this, you know, for example, uh, <laughs> people always laugh at this story, but you know, like I remember I showed up to the to, uh, first day at West Point. I mean, I was 70. I had no idea what to expect. I'm, and like there was like a line of, of, of cadets with parents. You know, I, I was this Polish kid from a uh, from a poor family. I, I flew in by myself. Yeah. And I'm like, only like, why is everybody with their parents? You know, <laughs> I was like, that's weird. So anyways, yeah. so then what happens is like your, your, your first day, so you go through Mikey Stadium, which is like the, the football stadium. And you kind of go up the bleachers. And then like, there's this like officer or somebody like telling you, Hey, this is the time to say goodbye. And then again, I'm by myself and I look around like all these kids getting like hugged by their parents and, and crying. I'm like, for me, it's like, well, what's the big deal? <laughs> and then, and then you, you kind of go across the stadium line and you go into the, you know, kind of the, the, the back, uh, the back building. And then as soon as you get out of the sight of the parents, they start yelling at you and yelling at you. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's that's what I expected. And and I, I was, even though I got yelled at as a kid, you know, it was still very overwhelming for me. So much so, I I I am not making this up. I started on Monday. I did not take crap until Thursday. That's how stressed stressed out I was, you know. And and then that was the first night I spent crying at night, and I wasn't oh the only my one. Goodness. But. But, but I think what, what really helped me at the time, because at the time God wasn't a factor, I was a different person. Yeah. But what helped me is like seeing similar people uh, struggling, but yet showing up. And then you begin to wonder, it's like, well, if they can make it, well, why can't I make it? And so, so I think that the bigger lesson for the, the, the listener is that it always helps to have peers that help you keep going, to have that, that good influence. You know, the thing that was like Jim Rohn or somebody said that, you are the average of the five people you associate with. So you want mm-hmm. to make sure that those five people are good influences with you because you're going to have bad days. And on those bad days, those folks can lift you up. And when you see those folks struggling with similar issues and be able to make it, 
you'll be able to make our stuff. I think that's why CrossFit is so popular, you know, because like, again, yeah. I did CrossFit. You look at, you got these workouts. There's no way you could do these, but then you get in yeah. these groups and you see everybody else and you get that energy like, yeah, let's do it guys. Yeah. You know? And so, so, so I, I think that looking back, you know, because at the time God wasn't a factor, it was just seeing other people do it and realizing that, Hey, I can do it as well. Yeah. Um, it, that's powerful. I mean, it is. I mean, cause it's not always true when you're, when you're, when your mind and even your body are like, you can't do this. I heard someone say, I don't know if it was a, an athlete or something, but they were saying something to the effect that when you feel that you hit that wall, you're only at like 30% of your actual mm-hmm. capacity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Wow. Um, you can push it was, uh, well, Muhammad Ali said that, and I'm going to be, maybe I might butcher is that I only <laughs> count when I feel the burn, you know? <laughs> like, yes. like Yeah. Oh, That's, wow. Wow. Well, Sam, you want to talk about servant leadership? What was, um, yeah. So, there? I mean, the, the interesting thing about servant leadership, I first heard about it back maybe, um, 10 years ago when I was a senior in college. Um, and we had a class on servant leadership and I just thought it was such a beautiful concept. Robert Greenleaf wrote a bunch of books about it and started a big institute and um but all about showing how putting power at the service of others rather than using it to use others Mm. is a transformative concept not only um is it incredibly biblical but yeah just practically speaking it works (laughs) um but uh, this concept of servant leadership, I guess, was mostly taught to us by Christ to his disciples because they had such this, this worldly idea of power. You know, yeah. Jesus was the Messiah. Any day now, he's going to take the reins. He's going to take charge. He's going to gather himself an army. And he's going to take rulership of Israel. And he's going to drive out the Romans and this is going to be great. So the disciples are always like vying for those high positions of power. You know, can I sit at your right hand or like, can I be your, your number one uh, assistant when you're the king? And he's like, you don't understand me. And then, you know, the most shocking example to the disciples was um, Holy Thursday when he literally, you know, stripped naked and wrapped a towel around himself and then washed their feet, which was the job for the lowest of the low servant. And it just blew their minds. So I'm just wondering if you can just take us inside what servant leadership looks like conceptually, mm-hmm. but then practically as well. Like, yeah, what does sure. that look like in practice? Because I think that's probably going to be the hardest part mm-hmm. for us to understand is like, mm-hmm. okay, how do I, how do I lead, lead like this? It's just kind of, outside our normal uh, ideas of what leadership looks like yeah sure sure no worries yeah and then by the way i did a um servant leadership series uh for heroic man you guys can check it out it, you know, awesome. it's for free i did with two other army officers shannon and um oh my goodness i'm horrible with name uh and nathan shannon and nathan who well, apologies That's i'm horrible right. with names but yeah so um so like to, to, so like the the way um I see servant leadership because obviously there's a lot of ways you can approach it. You know, it's, it's, um, it's kind of like God in a sense that it's an infinite concept and there's a lot of different ways to explain it. Um, so to me, the best way to, that, that, that I, that for me to explain servant leadership is, is through the army framework of, uh, 
uh, purpose, direction, motivation. So for example, the army defined leaderships as, as three di di uh, discrete steps, which is purpose, direction, and motivation. And so to me, um, it starts with purpose and really understanding kind of the why, you know, for example, like Simon Sinek says, start with why, start with why. And, and you know, and uh, well, the reason why that's very helpful is that when going gets tough, understanding why you're doing it is very helpful. Uh, so for example, uh, with me, like when, when I think about the best leaders in my life, you know, kind of like the, the best leaders I came across, they were all servant leaders in a sense that they didn't look at my mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, they look at my potential, you know? And, and so to me, it's like, if I want to be a leader who, who makes an impact, I, I want to be a servant leader. I want to be able to inspire people, not, not, not just look at them, you know, what they're doing or how they're performing or maybe what they're doing wrong is, is that, understanding that, hey, if, if I want to make a real lasting impact, uh, I, I want to be a positive influence in their life, even though it, it might take time, it might be uncomfortable, it, it, it's gonna take uh, more, more effort on my part. If I wanna make it like a real, real lasting impact, it, it's gonna take time. And I think it's also very applicable to, to ministry work is that, you know, you see all the time on the internet, like how people argue about the hot button issues is typically, you know, this guy is wrong, you know, it's kind of like, Father Jerry Martin people versus the church middle people and just kind of like lobbying back and forth. But then like, you know, who who's getting evangelized? Who's becoming better in that process, you know? So so to, to me, it's it's really understanding that uh, what, what is my purpose? And, and to me, like, if you really want to uh, make a lasting impact, you have to be that servant leader because that's going to get gets people's attention. That's going to message to people that, hey, this guy cares. And then because yeah. I know that this guy cares, then I'm going to listen to them. And then, and then yeah. the other part of it is, is giving direction. Like, well, how do you communicate to people? How do you give that direction? You know, are you just like barking orders? Uh, are you just um, telling people what to do? Or do you like take the step back and, and uh, figure out how you, how do you uh, message people in a way that they actually uh, respond to you? And, and I see a lot of that in corporate America, even though in corporate America, I don't get to bring in uh, God and, and Jesus in, into it. Uh, I, I see a lot of times employees just get discouraged because the way their bosses talk to them um, just turns them off. Or sometimes even those bosses that I get to coach, they don't realize that, you know, that um, how the, the way they message things impacts other people. So understanding like how can you approach the person in a way that's actually going to get you to the, the desired results? Because, you know, I think it was like Fulton Sheen who said like, win an argument, lose a soul. And yeah. so it takes time to, to really uh, craft your message in a way that impacts the other person. And then finally, uh, motivation. You want to really inspire people to, uh, to take the right action. You know, you want to like, acknowledge them for what they're doing wrong. I mean, for what they're doing right. And also inspire them uh, to uh, change their behavior and, and show them how, how that behavior is going to make a difference. And, you know, to me, one of the best ways to do that is, is be that example uh, because especially when you've got several leadership, it, it's hard. And so if you can demonstrate to the people that you do it and it has results that, that the other person is far more likely to be able to do that. And, you know, and the kind of going back to that, the point of, of action is that um, it, you're going to make mistakes. It, it's hard. I mean, look at, look at Jesus yeah. in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, he was sweating blood. Mm. Jesus Christ, the son of man who know exactly what's going to happen yeah. was sweating blood. Uh, or like, for example, look at uh, secular examples, for example, Lincoln. I mean, obviously everybody, like, uh, I think everybody would agree that he's a servant leader, but what a lot of people don't realize is this guy failed over and over and over again. 
you know, like he 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 was like a one-term uh, congressman. He failed a whole bunch of elections. He failed at his business. He failed for a Senate race. And then finally he became president. And then, oh, by the way, what happens? There's civil war. Yeah. And, and you know, for, for a long time, people don't realize is that uh, he felt like he's going to lose the war. You know, like hindsight 2020, Gettysburg was the, was the turning point. But even after Gettysburg, it didn't seem that way. Mm. And, no, and, uh, and Lincoln uh, suffered from depression. Uh, he, he felt betrayed many different times. And so, so to me, servant leadership is, is very hard, uh, but it's so worth it. And, and, and the best way to do it is, is to practice, start small and, and, um, and don't beat yourself up when you fail, uh, because it's like a muscle, the more you use it, the better it's going to get. That's right. Well, that's very good. And so a little bit of a gear shift that I wanted to do, you just brought up the civil war and it's something that, um, I pinged you about and, and was curious. So, um, I, I love history. I know a lot of people do, um, and uh, and there was a real turning point in how uh, battles were fought, right? From the Civil War, World War II, Civil War, you know, uh, introduction to submarines, and then we had, you know, World War One. Forgive me, I said World War Two, but yeah, World War One, where all of a sudden it was, you know, trench. You know, there there was a real sense of like um, gentlemanliness in battles before that, and hand to hand combat, and musket, and then hand to hand combat, and stuff like that. But then it turned into something far more gruesome and far more, um, uh, well, you know, wicked in, in many cases with, you know, the introduction of machines and gas and things like that. So um, I'm, I'm just curious, how do you, and this is, there's not a right or wrong answer, I'm just very curious about this, how do you still conduct yourself as, as a gentleman? How do you still conduct yourself as a man of dignity fighting an evil or other individuals that, mm. that still have some innate dignity within them? Um, how do you grapple with that? Um, maybe how did you grapple with that if you did? And, and how would you uh, now in hindsight, having mm. grown in your faith and things like that, I just love to hear from, from a man of, of such accomplishments in the, uh, in the military field. And uh, you've had to think about these things, I'm sure, more than uh, any of us. So, yeah, sure. So, you know, this is definitely a, no, no, not a simple answer, but so I, I, I'll do my best to, uh, to explain it. But to me, the, the biggest difficulty came from the insurgency part of warfare. Uh, because, you know, for example, I remember like when I was at West Point, it was late 90s. At that time, you know, it's, it's kind of laughable to think about it now, but at that time, literally, that the perception was that infantry is kind of the, the past and the future wars, because this was after the Balkans, the future wars would be more yeah. about Air Force and then maybe special forces doing some secret missions or, or training up uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the fighters on the ground, but the, the infantry itself, is, it's really kind of the, the thing of the past. Yeah. I mean, obviously there was Somalia, but Somalia was more of like a, a unique anomaly. Mm-hmm. And, and so the perception was, is that, hey, you know, in the future, we're not gonna have many wars. And if we do, it will be more of like an you know Air Force dropping a bomb here and there, and and uh, and so like when when I was brought up in uh, at West Point, you know, there's also like another saying that army always train to fight the last war, mm. and so like at that time that the last war was really the perfect war, which was the uh, Iraq War number one, yeah. you know, in, in in the 90s. I mean, like uh, obviously there were people there were people who died on the coalition side, but you know, if you think about it, at the time. Iraqi army was the fourth largest in the world and they were conquered in, in a matter of, of a month. 
and maybe like uh, there was like maybe a couple hundred casualties. And obviously, I'm saying that you know a casualty yeah. is a casualty, but you know compare that to Vietnam or World War II, it's it's you know it's it's a fraction. Yeah. And so uh, that you know the um, the the mindset that we were trained at West Point at the time, and especially in IOBC and even Ranger School, was this kind of a Cold War uh, uh, Cold War scenario where basically the enemy wears uniforms, and then we basically close with and maneuver to take over, uh, to, to destroy the enemy. And obviously that worked even at the early stages of, of Iraq war, the, the first 30 months. But then what happened was the insurgency, insurgency happens. You know, the, uh, the IEDs came into play and the insurgents yeah. saw that they can make American soldiers bleed. And that made all the difference, you know, and that's something that, you know, really hurt the army for a few years until General Petraeus came through and 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 change the way that the uh, the war was fought. He realized that the face of war changed, and so the doctrine has to change. And you know that that took a few years. So yeah. So to me, the most difficult part was not so much the fighting; it's the the winning of the hearts and minds. Hmm. You know, like and, and another concept. I'm kind of probably getting out of my depth. Is is the concept? Yeah. You know, everybody knows about PTSD, yeah. uh, or like has heard of it at least. But you know, another concept that's not as well known is the concept of moral injury. Mm-hmm. which basically says that um, that just kind of like a physical injury, like our consciousness gets injured by uh, the perception of, of our actions, like how, how we acted or, or mistakes that bring about guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what, what, what do I mean by that? Well, like with me, like when I was in Iraq, I always followed the, the, uh, the, um, the rules of engagement. You know, I, do, I didn't do anything criminal, but especially now as a catholic thinking like how i handled situations uh i would have handled them a lot differently and and it, it kind of makes you wonder is like how many insurgents did i incapacitate versus create mm-hmm. uh, and so I, i'll give you an example there's this one time yeah. i remember when i was in iraq so again you know i, I we got called into iraq uh, i was in 82nd airborne so you know kind yeah. of like backtrack 82nd airborne is basically like america's number one force Okay. So basically, you know, like it's like our mission is that within 18 hours, the first battalion is going to be ready to go wheels up and, and jump into, you know, wherever they, they have to jump into. And so yeah. that that didn't happen in Iraq. But what happened was, is that, you know, the, the war started in, I think it was like March 2003. And the first few months were flawless. But then the insurgency happened. And then basically General uh, George Bush is like, hey, we need more troops. And so they, they called up 82nd. And literally in a matter of two weeks, we went from airborne infantry to motorized infantry, we were issued Humvees, wow. and you know these Humvees—they were just basically like trucks. You know, they, 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 yeah. there was no up, up, up armor back then, so we had to, for example, like uh, create these benches so like my, my soldiers would like face out with, with their machine guns because you know the way the way uh, the way Humvee is set up, you you, you face in. We would, wow. for example, like in, in the rifle platoon, uh, you have the uh, 240 Bravo, which is the 776 machine gun. So we would put those yeah. the, the tripod on top of the the driver's cabin, so we, we had to. Um, we had to improvise. And so like w- one of the missions that I, I had to do uh, when I was in Iraq was securing uh, these ammo depots because what, essentially what happens, there was a lot of like uh, artillery rounds that were carried over from uh, Iraqi, regular Iraqi army. And what happened is the insurgents were using those rounds to create IEDs. Mm-hmm. And so this one particular mission, you know, I, I was told that people know that this is off limits area. And basically like the rules of engagement was is that, hey, if you see somebody taking rounds, you are clear to shoot. You know, that, mm-hmm. those were the, the standing orders. And so I, I got called in and, and long story short, I saw this one truck 
with uh, with with rounds uh, on it. We, we we wouldn't be able to get to it because Humvees are pretty slow. The track was really fast, and mm -hmm. so I gave an order to shoot. You know, and it's like, you know, the the it, it's crazy because you know the way um, the way that the armies at least was at the time like every fifth round is tracers. So you can actually okay. see the fire. I mean, like this this guy, this truck just got rained on by 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 fire from my men. You know, we get to the truck, we open up the truck, and the guy just has bullets all over the place. You know, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, but here's the crazy thing. You know, you know what the guy says? He's like, do you have cigarettes? You know, like it, it was crazy. Like one thing that people don't realize is that five five six is meant to injure, not kill. Seven uh, seven six, the higher caliber. So. Obviously, yeah, if, 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 a, if a 556 hits hard or brain, it kills the person. But, but actually, by design, 556 is, is meant to incapacitate a person. Uh, but anyways, what, what I'm going with this is that you, 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 know, you see this guy bleeding. Um, you know, and thank God, uh, you know, he didn't die. We took him in and then we patched him up. But then you begin to wonder, is like, you know, did I do the right thing? And, you know, the, the interesting thing is that my commander actually applauded me because you know, after that, there was no more people coming into the into the, the the depot getting 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 the ammo. But then you begin to wonder: is like, well, was this guy an insurgent, or maybe he was just like a dad trying to uh, have some of these things to to take, take care of his family? Yeah. Uh, and then you begin to wonder: like, well, the guy survived, but then you know, did, did he have any follow-on effects, mm -hmm. or maybe you know, his kid saw him or the way he was treated, you know, saw, saw all these bullet holes in him, and maybe that tip them over into insurgency and so and so that's those are the things that like hindsight wow. 2020 you just kind of like begin to wonder is like i mean I, I know i did my best at the time yeah but then you begin to wonder is like did my actions actually help or they actually created more insurgency so so those are the the things that you know i i wrestle with i know some of my colleagues wrestle with and you know i i've seen enough stuff to understand like how PTSD comes around, uh, comes about. It, it didn't yeah. affect me, uh, but like the thing that affected me, especially as, as a, as a, as a, as a Catholic, somebody who, who grew in their faith is like, you know, wonders like, Hey, I, I wish I would have done that different, but you know, that's also a blessing of, of being uh, a Catholic or, or some, a follower of Jesus that we know that we ask for forgiveness. We are forgiven. Amen. And then the, the, what I'm trying to do now is like, whenever these thoughts go into the past, wonder how should I've done this? Is to is to realize that hey, I, I learned my lesson, and so use that as an as a as a reason behind my servant leadership. That whatever I'm at, whatever the situation is, ask myself how can I serve better? Because I can't change the past, but I can change the future. And obviously, since I'm here, God is not done with me yet, and so there is still useful things that I can do for the kingdom, and I'm going to do them to the best of my ability. Amen. Well, thank you, thank you for sharing. That's. Um powerful and I have a question about your sure. book and, oh, and I'd like to hear a little bit more about the theme of the book but I just want to talk mm -hmm. for a second about the title mm -hmm. the love driven man you know there's a another uh, ex-military mm -hmm. individual who wrote a book um called can't hurt me um, oh, okay it's it's all about being it's, it's a little yeah a little book nobody we heard about it <laughs> yeah right <laughs> no, no, but it's all about being invulnerable um and the thing i want to talk about is there is a sense in which love by nature makes you vulnerable i mean you look at christ on the cross that's kind of the ultimate vulnerability of love but it's also true power like True power is not being 
invulnerable. It's sacrifice. So I just am curious, your book title strikes me as almost the opposite of can't hurt me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, the love driven man. And I think that's so beautiful and so powerful. So can you, first of all, tell us a little bit about your book, but also kind of comment a little bit on this idea of men don't like to be vulnerable. Oh, yeah. And love may require that. So how can we bring those two things together in a way that men can lead? Amen. Yeah, so, you know, the, the, the first disclaimer I, I want to make, I want to make it clear to listeners, I was not born that way. Uh, I, I didn't walk on that path till, till, was, till I turned 30 after, after my divorce, and, and, and it, was a, it was a journey. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the inspiration behind the book is, is really my story. And I see it with the men that I coach is that typically something happens in our life that hurts us. And we try to control ourselves and, and, and our environment to, to prevent that pain from happening again. Uh, you know, that's, yeah. that's why, like, on the, on the cover, you have that choice, control or love. And so, for example, in my case, I, I try to control other people's perceptions of me by, for example, going to West Point, putting this on my uniform, because I thought, hey, if I control these external things, uh, people will not see or experience the, um, the fear and the, that imposter syndrome that's, that is on the inside. And, and, and what I found is just like what you, what you found, what you mentioned, Sam, is that love takes vulnerability. Um, love is exposing your whole self and then, um, and then letting the other person decide if, if they want to be part of, they want to be a part of you. And then obviously, uh, some people might reject you, you know. And, and I, I can relate to it from my dating experiences after after my my divorce. Is that for a long time I was um, I, I wasn't show up as my true self. I was just using my my salary, you know. My you know uh, you know I, I try to use alcohol too to to kind of to really hide my my true self. I thought that hey, if I drink then the woman think, will think I'm, I'm more fun. Um, yeah. And, and what, I, what I learned the hard way is that uh, this is exactly what got me in, into trouble in the first place because I was using that fake persona that, you know, that, that this person got attracted to. And because that wasn't my true self, it was just a matter of time till, till the relationship uh, self-destructed. And so the whole idea behind this book is to help men identify where this comes from because once you identify it, it's easier to address it. And also through the book is to help me understand how making love-based decisions while not easy is not only possible, but results in a much more fulfilling life. Um, you know, for example, with me, like, you know, let's say pornography, that, that was like another you know, uh, thing that was really helpful for me is that, you know, I re- obviously um, pornography is not something that uh, people are proud about. And it's, and, it, and it's very easy to kind of like focus on like trying to reduce like how often you watch porn. Uh, and, and that's, that's reasonable. But the, 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 the problem is like you only attack the surface, you know, you, you know, you, you don't really attack the root causes. It's really looking on the inside. And so, for example, in my case, what I, what I, what I learned is that I don't watch porn because, uh, because of porn itself. I watched porn because I never had the ability to form intimate relationships. And, and so porn hijacked my, my brain thinking that, uh, you know, that the way to, to get that intimacy is, is through a high by watching pornography or, or, or having sex with people because it feels intimate, but ultimately it's, it's a very dissatisfying experience. And so, and so the whole, whole idea, the idea behind this book is to understand how we are controlling things 
whether it's through accomplishment, whether it's through, through pornography or whatever else may be, uh, and uh, understanding where it came from and helping men. There's, there's uh, specific tips for men to use to help them to make love-based decisions because it's not easy, but it's so worth it. Oh, that's great. And for our listeners, that'll be in the show notes. We'll definitely put a link there for you to check out um, Marek's book. Um, I, I'd want to hear, uh, I guess, more about this. Um, you being, obviously, you're going to take your life as West Point as an Army Ranger, and, and you put in that experience, right? But you understand, because you've already brought it up in uh, PTSD and, um, and uh, the moral, uh, you know, decay of, of an individual throughout these uh, experiences. Um, what sort of uh, correlation and connection have you brought? Does it come out of your book or just in general of uh, the battle in the physical world versus mm-hmm. our battle in the spiritual and emotional world? Um, you know, what sort of connections do you see you at West Point? You said you had to drive through and it was the men in your life who yeah. are the other band of brothers that were able to help you get through that. Um, you know, what do we as men and what would you tell our listeners as men uh, that they need to help uh, first realize the spiritual and emotional battles in their lives and, and ways to overcome? And I know there's not one size that fits all, sure. but I'd love to um, sure. pick your brain on that. Yeah, sure. So you know, again, kind of like uh, there's 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 a lot of way, a lot of ways to answer that question. But uh, you know, kind of maybe starting with uh, the military experience. You know, um, yeah. in, in the army, we have this with we have this thing called five paragraph uh, operations order, and basically it's it's a it's a set format to give uh, combat instructions to maneuver units. Mm. And there's there's five paragraphs. Let, let's see if I remember them because it's been over a decade since I started in the army. So it's yeah. situation, mission, execution service support and command and signal and so and, you know so you start with the situation so and then within situation there's like different sub paragraphs but one of the most important uh sub paragraphs in there is the enemy's most likely course of action mm. in other words you know like there's this one famous philosopher i don't know if you guys heard of him mike tyson who says that uh, <laughs> everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face, you know, and so and that, so that's that's the, that's the whole idea is that you know you you yeah. want to prepare for the unexpected, and so like by you understanding the enemy's uh, likely course of action, you're much more ready to be able to react when the plan goes wrong because it, it will go wrong. Um, and so so taking it to the to the to the uh, uh, spiritual world, we we have to understand that we're gonna get attacked. Uh, and you know Satan. You know whatever you say about Satan. Satan is super smart. He know he knows. Yeah. He he knows like how to uh, how to use his powers. And so, typically, when you're lukewarm, typically Satan leaves you alone. It's it's when you go from that lukewarmness and you start those steps of faith. That's when you get attacked. I mean, it, it makes sense even in sports. You don't go after the weak players. You go out. You go after the players who are you know the biggest threats for you. And so, mm-hmm. you have to understand that uh, whenever you pursue God. Uh, you're gonna get attacked, and and unfortunately, it, that tends to step up the the, the closer you get. Um, and so it's it's really understanding that hey, when those attacks come, uh, to not confuse those attacks with uh, this misconception that God doesn't love us. You know, God is love. God loves us. It's it's Satan who attacks us. So it's understand that it happens, and also being ready uh, for that when, when that happens. And so you know, for example, in in the military, you have like some of the most classical things is is battle drills. 
you know, I, I think the Amistad does that. I mean, it kind of goes all the way to like the Band of Brothers from World War yeah. II. You mm-hmm. have like, you know, uh, platoon attack, platoon react to contact, uh, clear, you know, clear a trench. And so you, you have these, these, these battle drills that are ready. And so to me, like in spiritual world, that really ties down to prayer. Uh, and so, for example, like one of the things that, that I do is I have this, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have it here, but I have this like uh, flashcards of, of uh, Bible verses. And oh. so when I get attacked, I, I go through these to, to remind myself, well, what does, well, you know, what, this is what Satan tells me, but this is what, what God tells me. And, and so to, to answer your question is, is knowing the enemy, knowing how the enemy attacks you, knowing that the enemy will attack you, and then having a, a ready battle drill to, to prevent you from dwelling on these thoughts. Because like, you know, as from, from my coaching training, I don't think I heard this, but there are studies that negative thoughts have four times as much charge as positive thoughts. Mm. You know, it's, it's very good from the uh, survival standpoint. Obviously, if somebody cuts you off on how you want to be able to react quickly, but the point, but the problem is, is that when it's um, when, when it's negative thoughts about the future, you know, if you don't deal with these thoughts, they're just going to get bigger and bigger, and they're going to feed on themselves. And so, you want to uh, have something that counters that cycle, and something that helps you to remind who you are, who you are, what's your purpose, and so that way you can continue taking action. Because there's like another saying that clarity comes from action. So the more action you take the less likely you're going to spend worrying and and uh, believing what Satan says about you. And the more action you take, the more you move, um, the more you move towards God. That's what's going to help you to uh, remind you of identity and make progress, the kind of progress that helps you understand that, that these things will happen. Uh, but if you follow God, uh, things will work out. So for example, with me, like my, my biggest testimony is, is really getting married uh, to Jesse, you know, I mean, obviously, I had a very bad experience, you know, uh, getting married. I went through annulment and, you know, I, you know, I definitely wasn't a perfect husband. So I, I kind of took ownership for the things that I've done wrong. I had a lot of bad experiences dating. And for a long period of time, I, I, I gave up. I thought there's no way that there's a woman out there who's uh, who's a good match for me. There's also a good Catholic woman. And uh, and lo and behold, I met her at a, at a Catholic retreat out of all the places, you know, mm. people, people, uh, think they gotta go to like you know uh, uh match.com me harming and that's what i've done yeah and and ironically enough i, I met her at, at a catholic retreat and and to me you know if i look at my accomplishments you know if someone asks me like Matic, what is your biggest accomplishment i'd say it's by far meeting my wife and actually following through on the church, church's teachings like that theology of the body and so so to me it's like uh building up these small testimonies helps because we know that you know when we get uh, uh attacked when we think we fail it's a good thing to go back to those previous times where we thought the same thing and God came through. So if God came through in those times, why will he not come through in the future? That's right. That's inspiring. Thank you. Um, so I guess we're coming up near an end here. So Marek, anything you want to tell our viewers? How can they find you? How can they learn more about you? I'd love to um, ha- give you that opportunity to uh, pass along your website and all these things. And I'm happy to throw them into the show notes. So. <laughs> Yeah, sure. So obviously, if, if you like my story, please check out the book. Uh, you, you get more of it and it will help you to make more love-based choices. And also in my private practice, what I focus is on helping employees get, get their dream promotions. And so if you're looking to grow in your field uh, and you're looking for some guidance, especially Catholic guidance, please go to my website, amadekudak.com. Uh, you can uh, book a complimentary session. I'll definitely help you out if we match. Uh, you know, we'll talk about uh, what working long-term looks like, but don't hesitate to, to uh, book a call, whether that's about the professional career or maybe some other things you heard on the call. 
I really enjoy talking to people and, and finding out where they're at because that that helps me understand uh, how I can best uh, best serve. Uh, but a, my kind of you know specialty, if you will, kind of like you know you know kind of like the well, what Saint Paul Saint Paul had the tent making. So my tent making equivalent is is career coaching. So especially if you're looking for advice in career and, and growing your professional field, uh, please check out maricrudak.com. Awesome. I appreciate that so much. Uh, so yeah, I'm inspired. I am grateful for your witness. I'm grateful for your testimony. I'm grateful for your time and, and for being here. And uh, would you mind, let's end in the St. Michael prayer. We've been talking a lot about battle and it just yeah. felt in, it felt inspired. So in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl throughout the world, seeking to ruin our souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So thank you, everybody, for listening in. Uh, please check us out on catholicgentleman.com. Uh, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash catholicgentleman. Uh, subscribe, like us on YouTube or any of the podcast players that are out there. We are on them all. And uh, we just thank you for being here. And as we like to remind all of our listeners, be a man, be a saint. Thank you.